This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. You always say your name with so much more verb and excitement than I say mine. I just, I envy you, Eric Shaw Quinn. I really, I'm very happy to be me. And it just comes through every time I bring up. I love my name. I'm crazy about being me. I have a great life. Yeah, it just, it it shows. If you're happy and you show it, clap your hands. Or whatever, remember that song? You're happy and you know it. And it sounds like you really know it. Can I just clue our our listeners in at home that you're sitting, I'm watching you on FaceTime because we're still recording remotely during the pandemic, but you are sitting in front of a wall in your office that has giant blow-ups of photographs from you throughout your life that I actually had made for your 50th birthday party. And they are hanging on your wall and they have prompted you to redub your office what? Megalomaniac Studios. I think that sounds like a perfect <laughs> Cause, fit. Because it's just, I'm surrounded by like, it was, I had all of these pictures after the party. I got custody of them and it was like, well, I can't really just throw them away. And so I thought, well, I'll hang them in my office, but which is great, but it kind of makes me look like, a, you know, a nar- <laughs> narcissistic lunatic. Because it, literally the walls of the office are papered with these gigantic Bigger than poster size, like life-size portraits of me. I need one of those standing cutouts, like at the video store. Right. Me (laughs) gesturing people into the house, something... And let me tell you what else is happening, and this may just be a trick of the cameras on my end, is that you're in the bottom screen, and then our sound genius, Brandon, is in the upper screen, and he's adjusted his screen, so it's sort of diagonally, so the top of his head passes by the bottom of the frame, and it looks like a rat is running across the top of your giant megalomaniac <laughs> photographs. <laughs> it's like so weird. Anyway. Ah, uh, the joys of remote recording. All right, it's well. the Ratatouille megalomaniac studios episode. Absolutely. Of- TDPS um, presents Christopher and Eric. We're cramming all of the joy and frivolity into the very first segment of the show because we actually are returning to we're, a pretty serious topic today. But it's a really exciting episode. Like yeah, I'm it is. really this is a big deal. So we have uh, over the past few months been uh, talking about and looking into a 30-year unsolved homicide here in Los Angeles, and that was the murder of a. Uh, 25-year-old gay man named Billy Newton, who was known as an adult video performer under the name Billy London. Uh, His dismembered body parts were found in a Hollywood dumpster in October of 1990, and his crime has gone unsolved and had no, uh, there have been no major breaks in the case since that time, despite a very significant effort by LAPD homicide to find out who was responsible for this killing. We established an email address called WilliamNewtonInvestigation at gmail.com. Uh, around the 30th anniversary of Billy's murder, which was this past October. Uh, We really do a deep dive on this case in episode 48, 
as well as in episode 60, but we're gonna set it up for you somewhat here so that we can give you some context for the fact that we are being joined for an interview by Detective John Lamberti of the LAPD, who is actually the detective who has inherited Billy's case. Because the email address that we mm-hmm. that we put came up with generated a tip that actually got the attention of uh, LAPD, which was our goal in the first place. So, like, this hasn't solved the crime, but we had no, we didn't think we were ever going to be able to do that. But this is a huge success for us. I mean, this was what yeah. we were shooting for, was to yeah. try and get their attention again. And I, I, I couldn't be more excited. Yeah, I couldn't either. I think this is a really great development. And I, as I've said, part of the reason I brought this to you, Eric, and wanted us to start talking about it is because I had some awareness of the case and I had an awareness that Billy's father, Richard Harriman, had been his kind of chief advocate for many years. And when I started looking into the case, I learned that Richard had recently passed away. And I was afraid and concerned that Billy was running out of advocates. And so we are trying to encourage the next generation of Billy's advocates with our right. conversations about this. And maybe this. even be our own in our own small way, being advocates as we can be. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there are a couple things that I, I hope that he is able to address during our interview. And I know there are things that a lot of our party people have asked us about on our Facebook, the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page. Everybody's asking about DNA and what role this is could play. Or right. And that play. will be an interesting question because there's a, it's going to be a challenging subject given the time period and the circumstances. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the other thing is, uh, and this is sort of the more gruesome side of the case, uh, we, it's our understanding that his a severed head and his feet were all that was recovered from the dumpster where his remains were found. And we're sort of curious if that's, if that's the extent of it. We know that just from watching crime shows that often details of crimes are held back by investigators. They call it guilty knowledge. And it's so, so that it can eliminate false confessions, right? Right. So, uh, you know, I, I don't, if that's the case, I'm not sure he's going to caught, he's going to be willing to reveal he that in an interview, yeah. but maybe 30 years later. And I think that's sort of a characteristic of a lot of this. If you know, like it's 30 years later and I think people are more willing to talk about it. If we were talking about a case that was three months old and the family was waiting at home for the police to call with, with leads, that would be one thing, but yeah. we're, we're so far in the future and so far from the murder now. Anyway. Yeah, the thing that I'm because of Ron's um, contribution, because of the the tip contribution, um, right, and the the questions around whether or not this case involved Jeffrey Dahmer, I'm I'm curious to ask him about um, Jeffrey's timeline because I've always felt like DNA would probably like the the thing we could probably most likely do is prove that Jeffrey didn't do it. Like, I, I'm not sure that we will ever be able to prove that he did. Right. Conclusively. But I, I think that we could rule him out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a timeline would really be the only, if we can account for his whereabouts. So I, I want to ask him about that. I'm curious right. about that. But I'm also curious about how he ended up hearing about this, you know, mm-hmm. hearing about the podcast. That, that to me is as remarkable as any other aspect of this case, because to have him get in touch with us rather than it, the other yeah. way around. It was so strange because we've gotten emails that have been very helpful and we've gotten emails that have 
been a little out there and to see an email address from the LAPD in the William Newton email box was was it set me back and originally I said we got to make sure this guy's legit because we did we went through a lot of before we would ever link him up with um our tip person uh with Ron yeah um we spent a time making sure that he was the real deal that he wasn't just some some guy who was trying to you know, get in touch with somebody, maybe even the murderer, you know, because mm-hmm. we're we're writers. This is the right. murderer pretend writers to be who a have been at home for eight so months. So he can kill the witness. Yeah, yeah. right. Exactly. Um, yeah. So we made up all kinds of adventure stories. But it turns out, yeah, he's a great guy who works for LAPD and and uh, is. Uh, yeah. And as because of the our efforts here has become reinterested in the case. Um, and I think was already assigned to it yeah i, I want to find that out too i'm gonna ask his timeline yeah like how did how did this case land on his desk it's a 30 year old case he's a younger guy it's not like he, he's not the cop in the movies who's out on, on no. his fishing dock who never let it go you know and right. he's in this retirement is the one case i'm yeah. gonna i'm not retiring until i solve this we'll, when we write the um like the um like last week's when we write the true crime movie time right. version of this that's Absolutely. the way we'll write it and he will make him in we'll ask him if he wants to be a um <laughs> we'll wait until he solves the case and then we'll yeah exactly how we'll we wait want until to, he solve- how we want to fictionalize him right exactly um and see if the result ends up being on our special series true crime movie time which is what we did last week with a film called the frozen ground you can go back that's episode 62 if you're cruising our library and just happened on this episode by chance but we hope and we're getting the impression that you all at home in your car wherever you are listening to this have engaged with the Billy Newton case. It feels that way to us, and I think that's why we're going to... Con- we were going to continue to talk about it, whether you engaged with it or not, because we're both really passionate about getting justice for yeah. Billy, if it's possible. and easily obsessed. Yeah, easily obsessed. And um, so, yeah, we're going to have Detective Lamberti up in just another minute. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Well, as promised, we are now joined by Detective John Lamberti of LAPD Homicide. We also want to expend, extend excuse me, a special note of gratitude to him because he is joining us. He's taking time out from a family camping trip to be here today to talk to us about the Billy Newton case. So thank you so Absolutely much, Absolutely extra. Lamberti. And above and beyond that, I just, John, I just really want to say thank you to you. We, when we first started talking about the uh, Billy Newton case, our greatest hope would be that we would be able to involve an actual professional. We'd be able to get the attention of an actual professional and uh, call attention to to Billy's case. So on behalf of us and our listeners and the people who care about Billy, thank you so much 
Thank you mm-hmm. so much for taking the time, for taking an interest, and for being on the show today. Really appreciate, honored okay. to have I'm you here. here to help. And uh, and honestly, this helped me uh, get out of doing dishes at the campsite. So this is pretty right. awesome. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> we can do. Whatever we can do. Well, I thought we'd start today. uh, I just have a question I want to ask you because Eric and I are not only writers of crime fiction and we and consumers of 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 uh, content related to true crime. um, uh, But we are also, um, you know, investigating cases like this and looking into this. And so we see a lot that various law enforcement officers have mixed feelings about the term cold case. You know, some think it implies a lack of attention when there really is attention being paid. How do you feel about it? And would you describe this as a cold case? Yeah. And some people, I don't, I try not to get bogged down in semantics. I mean, it's uh, an unsolved case is an unsolved case, whether you want to call it cold or unsolved or, or, or what, but, um, and sometimes, sometimes it's because it's not being paid attention to sometimes it's because there's just nothing to follow up on. I mean, we've got uh, somewhere on on the order of several thousand unsolved murders in in the city of Los Angeles, and God, um, it's not for a lack of effort that the that the murders are unsolved. I mean, we get uh, you know in homicide we we get called in to work homicide because we've proven ourselves uh, as detectives in, in other areas. It's not where they send the slackers, you know. So mm-hmm. when, yeah. when we go out on a case and we are working as hard as we can to, to uh, you know, get to the truth. And sometimes, I mean, we're not magicians. Sometimes it just it just isn't there. So um, I don't mind the I don't mind the term cold case. Uh, you can say cold case. You could say unsolved. But uh, it's a really interesting work. It's difficult work, but. Uh, you know, every once in a while when we're able to, to solve one of these things, it's, you know, extremely gratifying. So overwhelming. Um, I, I bet. Yeah. The, every time we hear statistics like the volume, I think the other statistic that we've talked about is that at the time of Billy's murder, there was something about, was it 2000 homicides a month or a year? I, it was some staggering figure about L.A. in the 90s. In, so... The peak uh, of the violence was in the early 90s. I, I want to say 91, 92. Um, and that's when L.A. was given just the city of L.A., not L.A. County, but the city of L.A. itself had like 1,200 murders, 1,300 murders, something in that area. And the last few years, we've been hovering around 300 uh, for the city. So it's mm-hmm. a completely. I mean, that's still horrend- horrendous, but thank God, you know for whatever reason, the murder rate went up last year. Um, and I, I, people always ask, is it due to COVID? I don't, I don't think so. Um, it was due to being stuck at home with people that you loved. You would, you would think, but we're not, uh, those aren't, we're just getting, we're getting more, you know, the regular types of murders we have like robberies and drug ripoffs, but there's just more of them. Uh, it's not uh, stuff like, Oh, I, you know, Aunt Margaret, got fed up with uncle slappy and and you know <laughs> it's uh we're not seeing really that much um and the, oh well good that's good to hear because i i would think that would be a huge uptick in domestic violence from just people you know just being stuck in the house together yeah no that's so that's you know that's encouraging uh yeah we're getting, uh, we're getting a lot of um there's more uh dope ripoffs uh since marijuana got 
um, deregulated. There's a big black market for untaxed marijuana now. So we're seeing people get yeah. ripped off mar- marijuana and sometimes, and we're talking about like, you know, big pounds and pounds of marijuana. That, not sure. Joints. Um, so, Commerce now. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, uh, but yeah, it, it's a, it's definitely far fewer murders today than there were, um, you know, in the eighties and nineties for sure. Yeah. Right. And I, we'll get more into other things that were going on in the eighties and nineties, particularly around Billy's case. But I, I also, I, I'm getting the sense of this answer already and how you're talking about this. What percentage of your work is unsolved cases versus active cases? Normally I'm working a hundred percent unsolved cases this past year in 2020, I started having to, my partner and I started having to pick up fresh cases because so for, let me just, let me back up. So I work, the unit I work is called West Bureau Homicide. And West Bureau and LAPD covers from about just west of downtown on Hoover Street, all the way out to Venice Beach, and then from Mulholland, mm. all the way down oh, to like, my God. And we just got to jump in and say for our listeners that don't know LA, that's an enormous area, right? That's a that's lot like of the ground. size of a yeah. state. I mean, I yeah. grew up in, in Rhode Island, and that's that's this bigger than, than Rhode Island. I mean, yeah, yeah. Los Angeles is 3,000 square miles. Los Angeles is a vast, vast place. Just to put it into perspective, last year we had uh, 18 murders in our area. I mean, sorry, in 2019, we had 18 murders. In 2020, we had 42. So, like wow. I said, normally I work only unsolved cases, but... Uh, this year, I did pick up a couple of fresh ones just because. Yeah, so many. You know, I got to call it. You know, Sunday night on. Uh, you know, at a, on a Sunday night at midnight. You know, I'm not on call. I'm not expecting a call, and they're just like, "Hey, can you come in? We're desperate. We got we got nobody." And you know, I can't say no. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how did Billy's case land on your desk? Well, it, just by virtue of the fact that it's um, a West Bureau case, uh, I have access to all of the the unsolved uh, West Bureau case files and it came, it, it got on my radar. It's just a, a sheer coincidence that we're, you know, we review cases and, you know, for different things that we can do. And we realized that right. so his head and feet were found, but the rest of his body has never been found. And we realized that, you know, the state has a, a missing persons DNA database. And if there are un claimed human remains that are unidentified human remains that are found uh they get get uploaded into this dna database well billy's dna never got uploaded into the database to have some sort of comparison if it, in the oh. event the rest of his body they found the other parts yeah you mm-hmm. be able to connect them so i was in the process of um reviewing the case and and looking at, you know, what can, can we, do we still have any DNA from Billy that we can send into the database? Uh, so that's what I was doing. And I had kind of heard about the case a little bit. I mean, we've got thousands of them and, and I, I, I'm not familiar with every one, but I knew it was, of course. Uh, it was an odd case and I had kind of paged through the case file before, but I started Googling uh, Billy Newton just cause I didn't know anything about the case. And it turns out it's got a Wikipedia page. And, and then I found your podcast and it was like maybe two weeks after you guys had put out the podcast, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh. I had Googled this and like, Oh my God, these guys are doing a podcast about 
uh, this case. So that's when I decided to reach out to you. Yeah. And, and well, we really <laughs> wow. appreciate that. And we're glad that, I mean, we showed up at just the right yeah, moment. That's fortuitous because a lot of what was driving us on it was that the 30th, well, actually this isn't really true. We started looking into it and then discovered that the 30th anniversary of the murder was coming up, which was just a pure coincidence, uh, in terms of our interest in the case. But that gave us a pretext to really talk about it and to get a lot of other people talking about it as well. Um, I yeah, the Golden State Killer was the, originally what got our attention to, because she and her doing her writings and her podcasts and whatever was talking about crimes, and we thought, well, what crimes are we, you know, have caught our attention? Right. And- um, but there was even a case of Orange County. The, I, the authorities, the law enforcement actually created their own podcast to help solve a, a case of some sort, a missing persons case. Have you heard about this? Well, it sort of leads us to one of our other questions, which was how do you feel about podcasters kind of getting involved or, or starting conversations like this? I mean, is it a hindrance or is it a help or does it depend on the podcasters? <laughs> well, I mean, here I am, right? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> the way you guys approached it was a help it it, it it really depends on whether you know on on like the 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 aim and the goal of the podcaster and what what are they trying to accomplish and if they're just trying to be salacious and just put out a, a blood and guts podcast that's not really helpful but it, the way you guys approached it and set up an email address for tips and it actually generated a tip uh, that mm-hmm. I think was super helpful. I mean, I never, never would have uh, been in touch with, with, uh, you know, this gentleman that, that emailed you if you guys hadn't done this podcast. So that's right. Uh, wow. Well, we're wow. glad that we were able to do that. Excellent. And we do want to remind people that the email address that detective Lamberti is referring to is William Newton investigation at gmail.com. That's all one word with no spaces. And yes, we put that email address up and we heard from a gentleman named Ron Wheeler. And uh, we'll just review kind of quickly. Ron's statement was that he believes he was present in the nightclub where Billy was last seen alive, and he believes that he saw Billy leaving the nightclub, and that was Rage in West Hollywood, which is no longer in business, but uh, was located at Santa Monica Boulevard and uh, San Vicente. Uh, He believes that he witnessed Billy leaving the bar around the time he was last seen alive in the presence of a man who bore a striking resemblance to serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. Now, there's a lot to unpack in that statement. And if I understand correctly, you have spoken to Ron? Yes, I have. Can you talk with us about what what you guys talked about? Or is that an investigation? I don't want to, we don't want to intrude on an investigation, but. You know, in a case like this, it's where, you know, we're literally at a, dead end otherwise and there's no they explored you know the original investigators explored every avenue of you know investigation they possibly could i mean it's a podcast you can't see but i'm, I'm holding my hands up it's maybe a foot it's an impressive mm-hmm. it's it's you know 30 pounds of paper i mean it's a it they it's an incredible amount of um, material that they that, that that they went through so it's at a dead end otherwise. And, you know, it, it can't hurt. Now, would I talk about like a, a brand new murder investigation that's mm-hmm. still active? You know, never. But mm-hmm. I, I, I got nothing to lose. It's a, you know, we're just throwing Hail Marys. So, yeah, I have 
uh, no problem with it at all. Well, and I think it's important that you point out that there is that much paperwork on the case because we do deal with this reflexive judgment when people first hear about it. Gay man uh, worked in adult films. Uh, 1990, not a great year for the gay rights movement. A lot of uh, a lot of uh, political controversy and grief around the AIDS epidemic and how we were responding to that. And I think the knee jerk response from people, particularly in the gay community, is they think, well, this case probably got ignored. But we have at this point had enough conversations with his loved ones to for them to say to us again and again, absolutely not. And they describe the stack of paperwork that you just indicated with your hand gesture as being present in the interview rooms when they all went in to be questioned. So I, I think that's that's an important thing to put out there. This this case didn't get the short uh, shrift, but it, it that just makes it all the more sort of frustrating that it's still at dead end 30 years later. I mean, what what do we think is in our way, I guess would be the question. What, was Ron able to provide you with any, when you all talked, were you all able to, was he able to add you, to direct you and send you in a direction or on uh, any new inquiries? The information he gave me was pretty much the same as, as what he gave you. He said, you know, he's he was at the rate bar uh the night before billy was found uh dead and he saw a gentleman who he found attractive and he went up and, and um started talking to him he mentioned he was from out of town uh he went back and talked to some uh a group of friends that he was with and then he looked over and he saw that billy was talking to this gentleman uh and it seemed like they were hitting it off and billy and the gentleman left and ron was uh saying how he was disappointed because he, he's like, I want to leave with him. So mm-hmm. I think that's why he remembered the event. Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably. Um, yeah. It, so, uh, and then he said he, he called some tip line. He wasn't sure if it was the FBI or Milwaukee PD or, or, or what and left a message, but nobody ever got back to him. This was after Dahmer got arrested. His face was all over the media and he right. saw and he said his you know his his heart sank and and he just couldn't believe what he was seeing because he's that's the guy i saw leave with billy from the bar um, right. so to him, i mean you gotta you, you might guess we get a lot of crackpot tips uh coming oh in. yeah we got people you know uh, with psychics and uh, all, all the all kinds of crazy stuff so i'm used to talking with uh, people who are, uh, you know, not operating in this realm of reality. Right. Uh, and Ron was not. It's come up. I, I, he, he was sincere and, and, and absolutely believe what he was saying. And uh, I don't have any reason to disbelieve him. Um, now that being said, you know, I, I know as an investigator that, you know, eyewitness identification is one of the, as much as uh, credence the court gives it, it's it's not a very reliable source of an identification because human beings are terrible at recalling things. I mean, we, mm-hmm. uh, we, we fill in gaps in our minds with, with things mm-hmm. that we don't realize we're doing it. So... Uh, you know, with the caveat that it's it, it, an eyewitness identification, and we're just going off of the memory of somebody he saw a year ago. That being said, he's a hundred percent certain that he saw Jeffrey Dahmer. So, um, 
It's not wow. completely insane. It's not. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm talking to you guys and taking it seriously, because uh, I think it's not a, a completely insane uh, route of investigation. Well, and well, does so it you suggest brought up, any directions, uh, any, any, any right, new and line you brought up something specifically earlier, which was DNA, which is something we were asked about a lot. You hear so much talk about it. It was pivotal in the Golden State Killer case, which inspired us. What what role, if any, can DNA play here in researching Ron Wheeler's account? I, I was in touch with Milwaukee PD. They, you know, their case file has been in archives for years, and and I had a detective. He he went through it. Um, a little bit and he he said that according to him Dahmer's DNA was uploaded into the national DNA database I can't I have no way of confirming that because um, mm -hmm. I, I as a just a regular investigator I don't have access to the DNA database there's a there's a ton of rules and restrictions and regulations regarding <clears throat> the DNA database and who has access to huh. it it's very, very highly controlled. So Interesting. the only way I'm going to know if Dahmer's DNA is in the system is if I upload something and I get a match. Uh, okay. Other than that, so he, he this detective in, in uh, Milwaukee, he, he says it, it was put in. I can't verify it, so I don't know. That being said, I don't think I have any workable DNA on my end on the from the crime scene oh that's a shame yeah, yeah okay but i've done but not a surprise no yeah. because, you know in 1990 this is uh dna had only been a thing for i mean well it's been a, a thing f since the beginning of time but as far as a crime fighting <laughs> right we're all dna right uh but right. as far as a crime fighting tool it, it I think the first D conviction based on DNA was in England and it was like 1986 or 1988. So 1990, our evidence handling procedures were completely different than, than uh, they are now. And if, and he was found in a dumpster. Yeah. But if I handled evidence today, the way they handled evidence in 1990, I get fired. I mean, it's, it's now. that much of a difference. So they were a lot less careful with, with things. Uh, but that being said, I, I haven't had an opportunity to really dig into every single piece of evidence uh, and see what we have and see if there's anything uh, we can do with it. But that's that's on my to do list for sure. And, and if mm -hmm. I can find any uh, suspect DNA, um, I'm, it's going to get uploaded into the database. That's that's good to know. But it also, yeah, it is discouraging. And that's something Eric has brought up again and again. What sort of cross-contamination are you looking at with body parts that were found in a dumpster? I mean, and, and this was in the morning, too. So this was, the dumpster was, you know, ready for pickup, presumably, and fresh with stuff. Yeah, and, you know, what, what they... Well, and you got this transient who found the body parts. He's digging through everything, so he's mm -hmm. he's dripping his DNA all over everything. Um, and then the cops who who showed up there, a lot of them, you know, back then did didn't put on gloves or anything. They just you know put their hands on stuff and start you know pawing. So their DNA is going to be on it. I mean, it's it's mm -hmm. going to be a uh, uh, a toxic stew of foreign DNA in a dumpster. And the and the transient is in the wind, I presume. So there's no way to sort of identify him and rule out his DNA. No, I don't I like in, in the case file. Like I don't I don't know that they even identified him because he he uh, he notified 
uh, like that off-duty officer that I think you guys said you talked to. Yes, Detective Burcham, right. Burcham. Um, he notified Burcham, who was nearby, and Burcham generated a call to the station, which led to a response from patrol. And, you know, no knock on patrol officers, but they're not trained in evidence preservation. So uh, who knows what happened when the patrol officers showed up? I, I have no idea um, as far as, you know, their hands and whatever. Um, but that's not going to stop me from from exploring it and, and doing a test, but I'm not. I'm not holding my breath that I'm going to get anything out of it. The only other thing that was really, we were curious about was timing. You know, like if, if we could establish that Dahmer was in jail or in the hospital or someplace official at the moment that this was happening, we could rule him out DNA or not just by virtue of, I mean, the most we, I, we felt like the most that we could ever really do was prove that he didn't do it, that it would be very hard to prove that he did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so that's one of the things I was looking at as well. And I asked the, uh, the Milwaukee detective, if, do they have any sort of timeline uh, of, you know, his year, year or two years of whatever, however long it was of his, his main killing spree. And they don't really, but like I said, that, that file is just, it's gotta be huge. I can only imagine how big that file is. And Oh, the Dahmer file. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Must be a room. Uh, I I can't expect this detective who's uh, working active murder cases in Milwaukee to, to spend, you know, an exorbitant amount of time digging through a dusty file um so i i don't know if there's a timeline all i can say is this is billy's murder happened in a period when there are no documented uh milwaukee victims and yes. we know Dahmer's mother lived in fresno it is not out of the question if you're going to come to california and you're a gay man where are you going to go you're going to go to west hollywood because that's particularly at halloween right right, right. You, you know Maybe he heard of, of, you know, what goes on in Halloween and not in West Hollywood. So uh, it's it's that's that's what was intriguing about Ron Wheeler's, you know, tip is that it's not it's not insane. Like, we don't know where mm-hmm. Dom was uh, on October 29th, October 30th, 1990. Uh, his mom lived in Fresno. He's a gay man. And the nearest gay mecca to fresno uh, outside of san francisco is west hollywood so yeah it's not like I, I keep going back to like this is not completely insane you know yeah it's not and we we uncovered some more sort of uh circumstantial stuff which is that that uh they were both from wisconsin jeffrey dahmer and billy newton were both from the same state billy uh jeffrey dahmer was also a a, a vast consumer of pornography which honestly doesn't rule out a lot of gay men during that time to be frank or even now to be frank but you know it's possible there was a recognition there you know all of that's highly speculative but not outside the realm of possibility and the body the way the body was handled also Mm -hmm. seems what was Dahmer's mo his mo was to dismember uh his victims and put them in in plastic bags and what do we have here we have a dismembered victim uh, who's been put in plastic bags now if he's now, when he was in Milwaukee, he was putting them in his refrigerator. Now, if he's in, if he's staying at a hotel in, in West Hollywood, he obviously is not going to put them in a refrigerator. What's he going to do? He's got to get rid of them somehow. So, I, what happened? 
Uh, that's a good question. And I think that leads me to something that Eric pointed out about this right away when we started talking about it, which is, well, a, a lot of our listeners point this out, which is this murder involved an enormous volume of blood and somebody needed to be ready to commit it. And what Eric pointed out is that Billy went home with someone who was ready to murder him. I mean, we looked at this initially. Was this a, what we would call a trick gone wrong, right? You go home with the wrong guy. He's maybe unsure about his sexuality. You make a move, a fight results. We've looked at some other cases where that those crimes have a specific shape. They're a sort of frantic, frenzied murder uh, the person isn't planning it. They cover up the scene hastily. They run really quickly. None of that is present here in Billy's murder. And so we got to ask ourselves, if we are talking about somebody who drove in from out of town, did he prep a murder site? Was he plotting this methodically in advance? It just all of the details of the murder have those kind of hallmarks to them. Yeah. Cutting someone's head off and, and their feet and God knows what else you know happened to the rest of Billy's body. Yeah, that's going to generate an enormous amount of blood. Um, and, you know, maybe, who knows, maybe in 1990s, there, there, was, there was a hotel room where they found a bunch of blood and no body. The way things were documented back then, like, I'm never going to be able to find that out because it's, it's, unless it was a, a, a murder, you know, just a bunch of blood, they're going to, they're going to document it and throw it in a file, but it's not mm-hmm. some be able to search for or, or anything like that so well and yeah you know and i think what that raises for us that we were inspired I, I believe it was in 2005 wendy barrett who was the supervisor of the hollywood station who was one of the original detectives on this case before she uh she got married and her last name changed um she said you know there's there's new technology out there around cases like this that helps us now and we thought well, if she had been talking about DNA, we probably would have seen a breaking news alert about DNA involved in the case, and we didn't. And we realized part of what she was talking about was probably the internet and its ability to inspire conversation. And I think part of what we hope as we continue to talk about it is, are there more Ron Wheelers out there who know something that they don't quite know what it is even? You know, Ron was pretty clear he saw Billy leave with a serial killer. But is there someone out there who remembers working in a motel in Hollywood during that time who encountered a, a bathtub full of blood and their manager said, just clean it up. I don't want to call the police. Those are the types. They seem like long shots, but they're the type of things that we hope for in doing a podcast like this. And it's why we set up the email address. Um, but you're right. It's it's it, there is right. There's no record out there. We can just go leafing through to find something like that. We have to rely on people to step forward. Right. Like you said, it is a long shot, but. Most of these old cases that, that get solved are on complete long shots, complete. Uh, uh, I'll give you an example just to go off on a tangent. Over, over the summer, we identified a, a murder victim who had been found uh, in Wilshire Division in 1968. She was a, a white female in her early 20s, and she had been unidentified since 1968. Hmm. Some woman in Missouri was just bopping around on the internet and she found uh, a court case where a dead woman's or a woman who had, was missing and dead, their family was, was trying to do something with her, her estate. And there was a legal question and it ended up going to the, to the Supreme court in, um, in Wisconsin. Uh, interestingly enough, this girl is from Wisconsin too, but it went to the Supreme Court of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. She read this Supreme random Supreme Court decision from like the 80s and saw the name and 
the description of the woman and went into uh, there's a, a national database that's accessible to the public called name us where unidentified um, people can or get uploaded and, and people can search. And Interesting. You went and found uh, that case, our case, the, the, the unidentified woman from 1968 and got in touch with a uh, detective in Wisconsin who worked in the town where she lived and he got in touch with me because it fell under my jurisdiction we put this all together and long story short after about a month we had enough evidence that we were able to identify this woman uh beyond the shadow of a doubt and this is somebody who had been unidentified for 52 years since 1968 my god and it, and it only got solved because some random woman in St. Louis got a, a bug up her ass to, mm-hmm. to search a missing persons database because she read an interesting court case from the 80s. Like, it's just nuts. Mm-hmm. You'd net, you, couldn't, you couldn't make that up if you wanted to. So just to bring it back to long shots, yeah, it, it, that's my job is to investigate these long shots. And I spend all day, every day, tracking down long shot tips that most of them turn into nothing, but every once in a while I get this little nugget and, and it turns into something. So yeah, I, I would just encourage your listeners if they think they might know anything, even if mm-hmm. even if it's like completely bonkers and, and you know, nobody would believe me if I just come and tell me, I'll, I'll suss it out and, and figure mm-hmm. out if there's any any meat to it that's my that's my job that's what you know the taxpayers of the city of la are are, you know paying their money for is to for for me to find this stuff so yeah bring it you know dump it all on my desk let me go through it that's what i do i'm good at it and uh don't don't think you're crazy um because you have some weird tip We, we get weird tips every day and i look at it i look at every one Yeah, I I think that's something that people need to hear. And I think I don't know if Ron went into this part of his story, but he did go into it in his email to us, which was the doubt that a lot of the, the people who were at the club that night felt about contacting the police in the moment. Now, some of that we might chalk up to the fact that it was a different time in history and there was maybe a strange relationship between gay people and the police. But there was really a hesitancy among all of them about, like, should we bother the police with this thing that may not be important? Recently, we did, as part of our True Crime TV Club series, Eric covered the murder of Kitty Genovese, which is a very famous case out of Manhattan that's also very misunderstood. But what he learned during the course of that is that if multiple witnesses there are multiple witnesses to a crime, they are less likely to call because they assume all the other witnesses have called. And so nobody calls. And so that could be the case here too. Yeah. You know, they call it the the bystander effect. Everybody's standing around and and, uh, assume that some, somebody else has called 911 and because wouldn't they, you know, and, and and then nobody did. Um, So yeah, that, 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 uh, Definitely could have happened. Well, uh, this has been amazing. We're, we're so grateful that, that you reached out to us. We want to remind people again that any emails that we get at WilliamNewtonInvestigation at gmail.com, we will, of course, share with Detective Lombardi and the LAPD. And if you th- if you think you know anything and you're listening to this or you know anybody who lived in the L.A. or West Hollywood area, the Hollywood or West Hollywood area, I should probably say during that time, who might know or anything. Fresno or Wisconsin or yeah. anywhere else, and you think you know something that relates to this, the detective told you 
They're interested, yeah. even if you don't, even if you think nobody is, they're still interested. And, and we really appreciate that. That means a lot to us and to, you know, to people who cared about Billy. Yeah, absolutely. And I want, I want to thank you guys for, uh, you know, what you've done. You, you, you generated this tip that I, I, I mean, I never would, Ron Wheeler would never would have reached out to me because, uh, you know, I'm certainly not making podcasts. <laughs> well, we don't have time to investigate, do the stuff you do. Right, so exactly. You do we'll your split thing the and we'll do the right. podcast. <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be our deal. <laughs> Thank you guys for doing what you do and, and, and bringing exposure to this. Um, this is a, it was a, a terrible, terrible murder. I mean, the, the, terrible. the crime scene, the photos, uh, mm-hmm. I think about them sometimes when i'm falling asleep in there it just you know the the fact that somebody could do something like that to somebody if there's any opportunity for me to solve this case i will no matter how crazy or how small you know come give it to me and i'll 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 do what i can to to get to the truth because this is this is a terrible murder and it's i'm never going to take it off my desk that's for sure yeah Yeah. well i think that's going to be encouraging to the people who loved billy um also we want to reiterate we're here for you if there's something you want to bring to the public again we're here to be your platform for that as well and um Thank you. Thank you for the time you're devoting to this and the time that you've given us. We'll let you go back to your family and your camping trip now. We, th- and- we hope we've kept you long enough to get you out of washing the dishes. Uh, yeah, probably, but I still got to fix the toilet, so, you know. Oh, it- uh, well, <laughs> you know, you could say we called again, that we had another break in the case. Yeah, exactly. We'll back uh, you up. Thank you so much, Detective. We really appreciate it. All right, take care, guys. Bye-bye. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. Okay, well, that was really, yeah. Wow, I'm still, like, starstruck. That was really... Are you? you, Why are you starstruck? Yeah, I mean, like, I just, like, I'm still kind of that he would thank us. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm still, you know, like like we said, our objective was to try and get the attention of somebody like him. Right. Like Detective Lamberti. You know, like, I, I, that was, that was as much as we, because... We're not going to be able to solve the crime. It would involve leaving our house. Um, right, which we're not allowed to do right now and don't do most and, days. Which we don't really do anyway. Right, um, absolutely. But, um, but certainly not now. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, but to have him, you know, take the kind of interest, but also to have found, and what a lucky circumstance mm-hmm. that literally two weeks after we broadcast, he Googled it. Right. And there we were. But and I don't want to get too out there, but and I think we touched on this some in the interview, like 
were we all sensing that the 30th anniversary was coming? Like, I didn't know that when I started looking into it really aggressively. He apparently didn't know that. Somebody else we were interviewing It really said, was kismet. It was like yeah. it was Billy, you know, um, mm-hmm. getting all of our attention somehow. It was such yeah. a, it's just, that's just, that part was really like, wow. Right. If we hadn't two weeks before, yeah, he Googled it. Um, yeah done the podcast he wouldn't have found out yeah i just that's just amazing to me that's almost supernatural but on the disappointing front i think the diagnosis about the dna was going to deflated a lot of my hopes you know i was hoping that they had assailant dna in a file somewhere in a vial you know well you know like he said they can uh, you know they can't the thing that i thought was interesting about that was that he can't even really find out if jeffrey dahmer's dna has been uploaded to the database yeah. without uploading something himself and having a, a match come back which is right. like i I guess you want that to be that kind of confidential, but wow, that, that was, I didn't realize that's how it worked. Right. You wouldn't know that somebody's DNA was there. Right. Um, until it was a match to something that you had uploaded, which is like, Uh Oh, well, wow. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's interesting, but also, again, it was like this is going to be – the DNA side of this will be a very laborious process if there's anything for them to work with at all. And I yeah, think you I, pointed I, out early on, and you were right, the cross-contamination introduced by the dumpster is just epic. It just wasn't a thing in 1990, yeah. you know, and then adding the fact the dumpster, the transient, and then, as he pointed out, the lack of protocols, I, I was – he said he would be fired for right. handling evidence the way people routinely handled evidence in those days. So, yeah, you've got all of that different DNA. It's just a soup. I, I That's the, like I say, I, I have always felt like the most we would ever be able to do was prove that Jeffrey Dahmer didn't do it. Well, you right. Know? And I, and I, I, I think don't know if we'd be able to solve the case, maybe, but I, I the, in terms of that particular lead, I think, and that will be through you know, shoe leather through right. actually finding the, that he was, he was provably somewhere else at the time that the murder happened. And that, that would honestly satisfy me because that would clear him from the stage and open up the space to really start looking at who might've done it. And I think the thing that we should also add, we had a conversation with him about long shots and all that sort of stuff. The long shot he described in that story that was also out of Wisconsin was very um, prosecutable if you will, what we're talking about, if people remember bathtubs full of blood and all that sort of stuff, and and, and that would be very helpful and could helpfully assemble a narrative, but whether or not that narrative could go to trial off of the base of what might amount to hearsay evidence is also very, the chances of that are slim. Who knows? But But yeah, yeah. like that, but I thought that was an interesting point on, you know, like if people know anything from Halloween 1990, right? Halloween 1990. 1990 in West Hollywood. So, you know, I'm still here. So there were plenty of people who were around at that point. Um, you yeah. know, did something suspicious or weird or freaky happen that weekend that you think might maybe be a part of this strange, terrible be- case? Because it, email it, us. Right. Email us at Even if it's crazy. investigation at gmail.com. But remember, like we are talking about a murder that, as you often point out so insightfully, requires a lot of preparation. It was carried off in a very short time. 
Last week, we were talking about a movie based on a serial killer who kept his victims for days in a cabin. That didn't happen here. Billy went missing the, uh, the night before his remains were discovered. This was a quickly executed murder in an urban environment. A lot of blood was involved. Somebody must have seen the evidence of this crime, even if they didn't know what they were seeing. You know, absolutely. And, yeah. You know. I mean, it just really like, you know, unless somebody had unless it was like somebody who worked at a grocery store or at a butcher shop where they were actually had the facility to be doing the kind of things that um, that they did. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how else it would have been possible to accomplish that kind of hideous crime. It's um, hideous. Without. um without generating an enormous amount of physical evidence. I, and if you are I, driving out to a cabin in the high desert to commit the crime or to hold Billy hostage for a night, why are you then driving his body parts back into the center of Hollywood right. to place them in dumpsters? Why don't you leave them out in the desert? California, right. here in Southern California, we are surrounded by vast stretches of wild space, open desert, mountainous areas we, we have a what's called a wild fringe to our urban areas here mountain lions come down out of the streets into neighborhoods you know so it's they're not there are a lot of places to to leave a body and to leave it open to the elements but this is like it this also suggests mostly it's raccoons that come yeah. down into our neighborhoods but, uh, <laughs> that's our neighborhood but if you go santa monica there was a mountain okay. lion that was struck All and killed right. okay. on a 405 it's a very wild area you you, you right. commune with but, nature I, you know but honestly I, my thought is that the crime was committed within a mile of where the body was yes found. that's what, you know, that was like, my very long way of to trying to yesterday, say that yeah it occurred to me yesterday that one of the most viable places for this crime to have been committed is the restaurant where the detective was eating when the transient came in because mm -hmm. there would have been, like, I don't know what restaurant facilities, but like, you know, a, if you were going to cut up a piece of meat and serve mm -hmm. it for dinner in a restaurant, that would be, they would have all of the equipment to have committed this crime and to clean it up. Wow. Right there within a few feet of the actual dumpster. Now, yeah. it would seem insane because yeah. you'd go put it in somebody else's dumpster and not the one behind your actual restaurant. But they didn't investigate the restaurant, so... No, uh, that we know about, but we also... That the theory of Detective Burcham, who is uh, Lamberti referenced in his interview, that he was the off-duty and he was uh, alerted by the transient. Um, we we didn't have an inter we interviewed with him and then discussed the contents of our interview in a previous episode on the case. But his theory is that if you're trying to quickly get rid of a dismembered body, you just populate a bunch of dumpsters with it, like you you go around and make a circuit. And so he would have thought that the other body parts were in another alley in another dumpster because you're 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 aiming to get them all carted away right before the day's right. over. But you probably wouldn't put them in next to your murder crime scene. Right. Like you, unless right. you were an idiot, but this person doesn't seem to have been an idiot. This was this seems to me to have been very well planned. Yes, absolutely. For it to have happened in the time frame that it did. So, yeah, so maybe the pavilion over on uh Rossmore. Mhm. Mm mm -hmm. You know, like I, and and Melrose isn't that right? Rossmore and Melrose? Maybe it's Rossmore and Beverly. I can't remember. Yeah. But um, but yeah, like somewhere like that, like where there's actually a butcher facility, like yeah, that would be that would provide you with the equipment and the cleanup ability and the presence of blood wouldn't be all that suspicious. I just I don't know how else, but that would rule out 
that would also rule out Dahmer because he wasn't from here. Like it would be somebody who had access, but it wasn't like yeah. this continued to happen. You know, we know, there were a series of other crimes that were like didn't find a bunch of other heads. What? Well, but because the the garbage truck arrived in time, that's what I've always yeah. thought. You know, like were there other disappearances of gay men during this period? That was basically how the Grim Sleeper case developed. It was all these unrelated missing persons cases, similar to what we saw on the frozen ground in the last episode. The connections are made after the fact but this may be the body part that slipped through that's always been my fear i don't want that to be true but maybe i hope not but god he was talking about 1200 murders that year my god Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. as compared with you know like down by it's still terrible uh 300 is still plenty but that's 25 percent of yeah Okay. All right. Anyway. Well, this was our well, third episode devoted to the Billy Newton case. There are sure to be many more, and we hope there will be more based on your your emails and helpful leads. As you heard De- Detective Lamberti say, he's open to any and all leads that might be significant. Next so if you week, were around West Hollywood in ni- at Halloween 1990 yes. and something weird happened at the motel where you were working or the grocery store or the butcher mm-hmm. shop or somebody was behaving suspiciously, or or maybe you saw somebody who looked like Jeffrey Dahmer, well, let us know. Uh, yes. Email us at, what's the, that email address? WilliamNewtonInvestigation at gmail.com. No spaces, and, uh, all one word. We'll pass it along to uh, Detective Lamberti, because he's Absolutely. interested. Still Absolutely. working the case. Uh, next week, we return with Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club. Time for our standard disclaimer. Your enjoyment of this special series will have nothing to do with whether or not you've watched the episode we're going to discuss or not, but we'd like to give it to you anyway. (laughs) That's what we hope, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we try. We try to serve it up for you. Uh, We will be bringing you an episode of 2020 entitled The Dating Game Killer. In honor of Valentine's Day, in because honor we're always trying to, Day. right? We're always, we're your Valentine's, but, you know, let's talk about the dating game killer, because it's Valentine's Day. Absolutely. And it's, 2020 it's is available to stream online, and, um, oh God, I think it's, I'm, I may have fucked up in not written the episode number down. It's, I think it's episode nine of season 43. Let me see. I'm paging And it's available at ABC at the ABC app for free or on Hulu. Or um, on if Hulu. You're, if, you're, if you're on Hulu, if you watch it with commercials or you, if you got the freebie option, you could watch it without commercials. Yes, absolutely. So did you figure a, out which episode it was? I didn't. I it's a recent episode, and maybe that's something we can add into the Sunday question. Wait, since I wait I've got it. some other notes. Let's see if I can find it here. Uh, season 43, episode 9, covers the see. dating game killer. So it's 2020, season 43, episode 9. So if you want to watch it, great. If you don't, God knows if you've heard this show, you know we're going to talk about every little detail in excruciating um uh, well, detail. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Excruciating. <laughs> Excruciating detail. Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.